Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, the last two episodes, we were talking about the anointing and the Christian And we showed you that all believers, when they are born again, are anointed by the Holy Spirit, and we all have our different gifts and callings, but nobody is specially anointed. And as we're going to see today, nothing is especially anointed either. All Christians are anointed. There is no higher order anointing on anyone. Right. And we showed that from 1 John and elsewhere. Yes. Now, we're coming back to Dutch Sheets after a little break from that, and we're still in the chapter on supernatural childbirth, but we're going to flip back a few pages and talk about this story because anointing becomes a very important theme in this story. So if you happen to be following along on the book, we're on pages 131 through 133, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but to summarize the beginning, these parents had a child named Jonathan that had been raised in the church, and when he was 17, he rebelled and got into a lifestyle of drugs, and they were very concerned about him and his diabetes, and at that time, they came across Dutch Sheets' teaching on intercession. And the rest of the story is how they applied his teaching on intercession to their son. Yeah, and I think he was their pastor at the time. Yep. Yes. So you're going to see what we talked about in the last couple of weeks really apparent here in this story. So just to start with then, I'm going to read a paragraph and we'll talk about that. And then we are also going to talk about some verses in Acts. So start picking up now. This is a quotation from the story as given by Dutch Sheets. Many times for seasons almost daily, we anointed his room, his doors, his windows, his bed, his car, his clothing, and anything else he came in contact with. Many times I would go into his room and sing in the spirit for an hour or more. I sang things like, the name of Jesus is exalted in this place. Over this bed, over these things, these clothes, everything. I sang, Jonathan has a destiny I know he will fulfill. My friends Shirley and Patty and I would sometimes pray for four to six hours late at night. Okay, let's back up to anointing things such as his doors, his windows, his bed. Is that biblical? Under the new covenant, what's anointed is people, not things. Okay. There are no sacred objects. Well, they're not even claiming. These are just ordinary things. Right. Okay. So people who are who know Christ are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Yes. People who do not know Christ are living in darkness and are alienated from God. Right. Okay. What's physical location they're in isn't going to change what the relational situation, let's say it that way. Okay. In other words, you could have 
a total uh, rebel pagan sinner go into a gospel preaching church and have you know all these great gospel people there that person is still in total darkness yes where you are and what room you're in or what objects are around you has no bearing if you've heard the gospel and you're not believing it you're in the same state alienated from god yes and religious people doing these things that the Bible doesn't prescribe as the way in order to bring conversion to lost sinners. Yes. Is not going to change the situation. It's only the person turning to Christ. Right. It's relational. We've said this over and over again. The false teachers turn what the Bible describes as relational into something technological. Yes. And you might say, well, what's, what do you mean technological? Well, it's mean using a technique or a process and certain, uh, if it was a laws of the universe, like gravity, you know, if you do this, you get this. Yes. And it would be uh, like te technology and medicine. Okay. You know that in the physical realm, you can get these outcomes. Now, is there the same thing going on in the realm of the spirits? Well, the pagans have always believed that. Yes. So I noticed when I I read this a long time ago, and I reread it in the margin, I jotted down shamanism. Yep. Exactly what the pagans have done for millennia. Right. Try to manipulate the outcome in the spirit world by using techniques that someone claims works. Right. Well, I wrote in my margin here, this reminds me of the prophets of Baal. So they were yeah. trying all the different things to try and get Baal's attention and it didn't that's work. A, that's a very good analogy. And I think it would help our listeners to, to think about that. In the case of Elijah, the issue was he had a true relationship with Yahweh, yes, who has all power, and he was a true prophet. And it's, this relationship at his intercession was based on who is truly God. Right. Not on a technique, but uh, in order to demonstrate who was truly God, he made sure that nobody could claim he was doing a trick. Absolutely. He had... You dug a trench and filled it with water and water, soaked the wood else. with water. There was no, no I, way this was anything other than an act of God. Right. And it showed that Elijah was the true prophet of God. Right. Now, the prophets of Baal, they, they would do anything to get the outcome they're looking for. Yes. But they couldn't. Now, in this case, you might say, well, that's not fair because the things that they're talking about are not going to, they're not so extreme. They're not cutting themselves. They're um, and so on. They're they're going and anointing objects with oil to evidently bring the Holy Spirit to play. Yes. But you might you might think it's harmless. I don't think it's harmless. Okay. I think it's harm harmful even if the outcome ends up being good. God's merciful. Right. He'll save people who turn to him despite having 
people around them with really bad ideas. Okay. As long as they know who the true God is. The Bible doesn't tell us to anoint ob inanimate objects. Now, if I were on the other side of this, my question would be, well, what about Moses and the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle? Well, under the old covenant, we got to remember what covenant we're under. Okay. Okay. Moses, did, who was a true priest of God, and he was a spokesperson for God, did what God commanded him to do. Okay. And God honors what he says. Yes. Okay. And there were other things with oil and anointing, like the beard of Aaron, they poured an anointing over someone's head, the old covenant. But even then, it was speaking of a relationship with the true God who had ordained this. Right. Now, if you're going to the new covenant and try to go back and redo that sort of thing, then you better go read the book of Hebrews, which calls that apostasy. Yes. Because there were people addressed in the book of Hebrews who wanted to go back to temple Judaism. Okay. With the processes they had. The right. The temple was still standing when Hebrews was written. Okay. And so you have the animal sacrifices and the various things they did with that particular priesthood. But once the new covenants comes on the scene of history, the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, Peter announces on the day of Pentecost that Joel 2.28 is being fulfilled. Okay. The anointing is poured out on all flesh, not meaning everybody universally is now saved or anointed, but that all sorts of people, through the work of the true Messiah, Jesus, God incarnate, now ascended to heaven, who poured out the spirit of promise that he would, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, Physically, as far as your location, your gender, your uh, age, or your ethnicity, none of that matters. What matters is that you believe the gospel. Right. And this is demonstrated throughout Acts. You should be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay. And ultimately, Paul was a witness in Rome. So these things that happen in Acts are relational. They're not technological. Okay. These are not secret processes to get the outcome you desire. Yes. It's not bad. It's always good. And every Christian mother and father desires the salvation of their children. Right. That's good desire. Yep. But the idea that God won't do that unless we take some actions never prescribed in the Bible and anoint objects so that this uh, the rebellious child doesn't even realize the Holy Spirit is somehow birthing something through these practices is really setting up a bad situation because even if the child comes to Christ and hears about all this, now they believe all this stuff. Right. So now their new faith comes with a bunch of junk that shouldn't have been there. Right. So what scripture does call us to do as parents under the New Testament is to raise our children in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. Right. And you sin is sin. 
Rebellion is rebellion. Mm-hmm. Your child rebels. You tell them you're in rebellion against God. This is bad. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember doing that one time, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we can't see. I think uh, this book, as I read this, we've been on this for a long time, but these heirs are all still out there. Right. When, when, when someone, a mom and a dad raise a child or children that are Christian parents, their heart's desire is for their children to serve God. Yes. And they'll do just about anything to get that outcome. But there's only certain things we have. Okay. Those that are given as the promises of God and the requirements of God for prayer, for teaching, and for uh, living in the fear, you know, teaching the fear and admonition of the Lord. And uh, this, even with Christian parents, every kid are raised by sinners. Yes. So if you start saying, well, my parents didn't do it right, anybody can claim that. Yes. It's between the sinner and God. Okay. The Christian, the parents, grandparents, church members pray. Yes. Okay. What we're looking for is for the sinner to be faced with the claims of the gospel. Right. Okay. I don't see how this shamanistic practice that we'll that we'll see more about here is going to do anything to honor God or show who he is, what he did, his mercy, his grace, the forgiveness of sins, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, by turning this into things tied to geographical locations and objects that somehow are anointed. Right. That's not a Christian worldview. Right. All right. Well, that brings us to the next section here then. Uh, So Dutch Sheets goes on to retell the story to us. On one occasion, Pastor Dutch taught about prayer cloths. Immediately, I thought we can do that for Jonathan. Pastor Dutch, David, and I together laid hands on a prayer cloth, releasing God's power and anointing into it, agreeing that the anointing would break the yoke of drugs, sin, ungodly friends, perversion, and anything else that needed breaking. All right, so they're anointing a prayer cloth. How should we respond to that? Is there a promise in the Bible that if you anoint a prayer cloth, it's going to somehow break the yoke? No. And, you know, this maybe kind of seems out there to a lot of our listeners who are not in charismatic circles, but there's still an awful lot of even evangelicals knitting prayer shawls Not that it's a bad idea to knit shawls for the people who are sick or need comfort, but the idea that goes with the prayer shawl is as you're praying, as you knit, your prayers are somehow blessing this shawl and you can wrap the prayers of others around you. See, the the desire to have something like that, there's nothing wrong with a shawl. Right. As a matter of fact, so much of um, evangelicalism, which we've been talking about, Charismatic practices or Pentecostal ones sometimes, and this is pretty much ubiquitous. Yeah, I've been listening to uh, 
gospel quartet music lately because I found out I had a, there's new stuff out there that I didn't know about. Okay. When I was a new Christian in the 70s, now there's new stuff. And uh, it, there's a lot of it's gospel-centered, and certainly about eternity. But here's the thing. In some cases, people associate salvation with things like pews, altars, and stained glass. Okay. They're not claiming those things saved them, but there's some touch point in their mind that, the, and it's kind of a sentimental thing. Yes. You know, the church walls and the stained glass, and there's where I came to Jesus. It's not a sin to have ornamental windows. It's not a sin to have pews. The idea of an altar is problematic. Okay. Because it's almost assuming there's some holy place where the Holy Spirit shows up. Right. Okay. And Finney and his uh, innovations and bad theology are behind a lot of that. But I understand the sentimentality. But then some there are other groups with songs saying that's not the issue. The issue is Christ and the gospel, which I think some of the songwriters know. Okay. We need to do the best we can to eliminate our pagan impulses. Yes. Okay. To turn objects into holy places. Right. Okay. And some, even people that are totally not into that sort of thing. I was in a big Reformed church one time that totally missed the boat with their church architecture. Okay. They had massive glass panels in, a little, in the middle, and there's a pulpit where it's kind of dark because the the lights in the building couldn't overcome. And it's in, um, uh, it was in California. And out, out there, of course, I'm from Minnesota. All you saw is this gorgeous out palm trees and blue skies. Yeah. Huge. That's all you could see. Okay. And I finally had to sit front and center so I could focus on the preacher because all this other was just a distraction. Yes. So the point of, a building or any kind of a meeting place focus on Christ and the gospel. Right. In other case, I saw another group that was a charismatic. They had the same kind of architecture. You need to eliminate the distraction, put everything on the message. Right. Okay. So my point is this, we will gravitate to things we can control. Yes. Okay. We can control having Soft music at an altar, and maybe people can repent if they hear the right music played. <laughs> the emotionally manipulative music really helps yeah. people repent. Or the music that calls down the spirit as if the Holy Spirit himself, God the Spirit, hasn't been poured out on all flesh. Right. And somebody at the most dark, horrible, hopeless, miserable place they could be, who at one point heard the gospel, knew what it was, stuck down in solitary confinement, you cry out to God, and they won't be lost if they believe the gospel, even in solitary confinement. Yes, exactly. So the idea that you need prayer clause or certain architecture or certain enticements, or even if you're not saying you need it, I tried it and it worked. Okay. We can't do a pragmatic technological version of this. 
dear ones, think here very carefully about this. What we need is forgiveness of sins, deliverance from darkness and bondage, and a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for sins once for all. Amen. And he bodily ascended to heaven. How much in Luke Acts do you see focus on the ascension? It goes all the way back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes. They're talking on Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his ascension, his exodus, which is uh, an exodus motif coming out of Egypt, and then his departure and that he's going to accomplish. And then this goes on through Acts, where, where the witnesses are there. He ascends into heaven. Okay. Then it's seated at the right hand of God, Psalm 110, verse 1, pours out the Spirit on all, all flesh. And then Peter preaches magnificently passage after passage about the old from the Old Testament. Right. About the person and work of Christ. And so if we're concerned about our young people, which we always are. Right. We will preach the Word of God, teach them the Word of God, care for parents, give them tools to teach and live lives that would bring honor to God. But uh, when I was reading this, I thought, this is so, so misdirected. Yes. The Holy Spirit is going to show up in some bedroom in some way he wouldn't be because we live after Pentecost, because somebody puts oil, prayed over or whatever. So then as I'm hearing this, you know, I would say, what we can do is what it says in Hebrews. We can go boldly before the throne of grace because of what we have in Christ, because the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, because we are all anointed as Christians, we can go boldly before the throne of grace. What Moses had to do with the Ark of the Co Covenant and the tabernacle and the Aaronic priesthood, all of that was under the old covenant and it was a way of making it possible for somebody to go before the mercy seat, only the high priest, only once a year. All of these methods that existed under the old covenant were washed away the moment that veil was torn in two. And, and we don't need, God isn't sitting back waiting to answer our prayers when we figure out the right method and have enough prayer cloths and of saying in the spirit enough. All we need to do is pray. Yeah, access. That, I would re recommend everyone, some who are listening, watching, maybe new Christians, you must learn the book of Hebrews. Absolutely. No one who carefully understands the book of Hebrews would ever think these sort of things are valid. Okay. And Hebrews warns about apostasy, going back to the sort of old covenant practices is as if we don't even realize we're under the new covenant. Right. That's a very and, good point. Yeah. And if you think that these birthing prayers that we've seen in the book that we're critiquing that's led to some of these techniques. This is not biblical. When did the gospel lose its power? Right. When did we come to think that the Holy Spirit 
can't really convict anybody of sins unless we do certain techniques. Okay. Uh, there's no reason to believe that. Yes. Certain things happened in Acts, and God did certain things are true, but we need to do what's prescriptive. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. Repentance for forgiveness of sins shall be preached to all people. That's prescriptive. Yes. Prescriptive are various things that happen. Right. And God's sovereign. He can do many things on the scene of history to get people to where they need to be to hear the gospel. And I've seen that happen. Right. That's part of providence. God's in charge of providence. We're not. Okay. And adding these techniques that are more like what the pagans like to do to get their desired outcome, even if it's a good outcome, is dishonoring to God. And it seems very manipulative. Well, it's, 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 I don't know. I feel my heart goes out to the people that hear that kind of teaching and the teachers portray themselves as great people of God who are apostles and prophets. Yes. And if there's a good outcome, they, they have a story they can tell. And I don't want to make whoever in that situation to feel like it's, it's really bad, but this, this isn't how the Bible describes our approach to raising our children and praying for the lost and preaching the gospel. It's not biblical. Right. And God is merciful and loving. He'll save people despite being in an unbiblical situation. As long as the gospel is there enough, they can grasp who Christ is, what he did and why they need him. So However, I have also noticed, and we've got dozens and dozens of people in our, church fellowship, who came from situations, that people who are born of God are born with a hunger for the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Yes. The spirit of truth never teaches error. Right. The Bible's inspired by the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of truth. If we teach the truth from the Bible accurately with valid applications, that is how the Holy Spirit's at work. Okay. To the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so the things that we come up with based on a poor understanding of the Bible and contrived practices that put us more in charge of it, because somehow God doing things the way he said he would, we don't trust, that's not correct. That's only harming. It's not helping. How many people do we know were in churches that were doing such things but they were born again, and they had this hunger for the truth. They end up leaving those churches. Yes. Because they hunger for the pure word of God to be taught. Okay. And they no longer want to go where they hear stories about all these great things that people did by using certain techniques or going to the right place or having the right kind of meeting and saying this or doing that. All this stuff's going on. And then story time, story time, story time. Where's the solid, careful, powerful, focused teaching of the Bible that points people directly to what God said, who he is, and their need for Christ and his mercy who will save sinners? Where's that? 
sadly missing, but that's what people need in order to be born again and to grow as Christians. And they end up having to drive hours to get to church where they actually hear the Bible taught. Yep. And they got these Holy Ghost churches, buildings anyhow, here and there. And you're very unlikely to hear the Word of God taught with clarity. And why would we think the Holy Spirit won't work through His Word whom He inspired? Amen. All right. Can you give us a one-minute wrap-up? The wrap-up is this. Jesus Christ is is who he claims to be. He is sees the right hand of the majesty on high, as it says in Hebrews. He's merciful. He paid for sins. He hears our prayers. He intercedes for us, as does the Holy Spirit. And we can bring every burden and need to him and give it to him. Sometimes we need to leave it with him rather than trying to do something on our own plan and leave it with him and trust God to do what we need and to bring glory to his own name, including salvation for the people we pray for. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob, you wait. We'll see you next week.